The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is a WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now that time, 817, you're listening to WGNS again on this Monday morning, today, October 17th. And during this four, first portion of the program, we have with us Dr. Pam Artell, Associate Professor in the MTSU College of Education. How are you this morning? I'm doing excellent. So happy to be here today. Well, good. And I know one of the focuses this morning is all around local educators. And there was a recent celebration for teachers in K through 12th grade. And these would include Murfreesboro City and Rutherford County teachers. So I guess start out telling us a little bit about that celebration. Well, we recently started um, some partnerships uh, with Murfreesboro City Schools and Rutherford County Schools, and we've been talking about how do we support teachers better. Now, we've worked together with the school districts for many years, but we really want to be more collaborative in our interactions. And we decided that um, it's really a, a good time to celebrate teachers. They've been through a lot, and so for about the past six months, we had planned uh this event to celebrate our mentor teachers and the administrators in those buildings. So a few weeks ago, we had a celebration where uh, we wanted to be informal and fun. So we had um, some great refreshments and some fun things for teachers to do in terms of a photo booth. And um, we also had some shout out messages from Chris Young, who has a great song that kind of pumps up teachers. And also we had a, a supportive message from Koi Bowles from the Zach Brown Band. So we just wanted to be a fun time where we help teachers know how much we appreciate what they do, especially our partners who mentor our teacher candidates. Now, in your years of I guess the world of education. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen anything occur such as we did with the COVID pandemic? I've been an educator for over 40 years and this uh, pandemic was definitely a unique experience that we never have been through before. But I think uh, educators really rallied. That didn't mean we didn't have some bumps in the road. But uh, I think now we're trying to see what have we learned from this and how can we use that as we move forward in enhancing the profession. And what are some of the things, I guess, that are most discussed whenever it comes to that COVID pandemic? I mean, what's the biggest topic or the biggest takeaway from that for educators? Uh, I think one of the things that we've discovered is how can we use technology more effectively? Uh, certainly, I don't think anybody really prefers to learn via Zoom, but we did learn some effective ways to interact with students uh, through that experience. Uh, I think we also learned the importance of being flexible. And so I was just so proud of even our teacher candidates out in the schools who learned to do so much with technology and uh, just rise to the occasion as they had to do things in different ways as we move through the pandemic. Again, Dr. Pam Martell, Associate Professor in the MTSU College of Education, is our guest this morning here in studio. Now, throughout the entire pandemic, we did see a pretty high number of teachers who were nearing that age of retirement go ahead and take retirement early, or mm -hmm. when I say early, maybe a year early at the most. But a lot of people did go ahead and move forward with retiring because of all the massive changes. 
Yes, um, I, I think it was a, a time where many people decided to exit out of the profession because they just uh, felt like this was a good time to take a break and uh, maybe they didn't want to participate in the same way that they uh, had to in their teaching practice. So uh, I think beyond the pandemic, we've seen that there's been a concern about a rising teacher shortage and uh, that concern continues. And so uh, we've been working together with our district partners to try to figure out what can we do collaboratively to recruit more teachers to the profession, as well as maintain the great teachers that we do have. And so uh, our work is currently underway to find some creative ways to do this. And actually the celebration that we had was one of the ideas that we came up with to help teachers feel appreciated and valued. I guess that's the biggest thing really for any employer out there listening mm -hmm. is make sure your employees feel valued and make sure they feel like they're a part of the team and they're making a difference. And I, I think we all know teachers make a massive difference in society. Absolutely. And at MTSU, we really have been focusing, focusing on this idea of being difference makers. And so we're really trying to tell the story of teachers. What kind of difference does a teacher make in the life of a child? Uh, it's extremely powerful. And so we want to recognize those people that do make a difference in the life of children. And that includes the people that mentor our teacher candidates. And so uh, we really were happy that we were able to, at least in a little way, acknowledge and recognize uh, the wonderful difference makers that we have in our local school districts. Now, statewide, I've heard numbers such as $5,000 or 5,000 people, rather, all the way up to 10,000 teachers who potentially uh, could retire over the next five years. At least they're at that point in their career where they would be eligible for retirement in the next five years. What kind of numbers are you hearing at MTSU? Um, we're hearing similar numbers to that, and not only that with the number of people retiring, we're finding that some beginning teachers leave within the first five years in the profession. So we have two uh, areas to address, and that how do we keep teachers engaged in the profession, as well as how do we recruit new people to the profession. So we're trying to find some creative ways, uh, particularly in terms of maybe finding some more efficient pathways to teaching so that we can... Uh, meet the needs of the workforce. Now, you were pre uh, recently a part of a symposium that took place here in Rutherford County that focused, is, or focused on education. Tell us more about that. Um, each year, the College of Education and our early learning programs uh, host what's called the Play Symposium. And the whole idea behind that event is to enhance the value of play, particularly in early childhood education. Unfortunately, for the past couple of years due to the pandemic, we weren't able to have the conference. So we were so excited that we were able to bring it back this fall. And um, we had um, 10 out outstanding breakout sessions where teachers can learn about everything from uh, dealing with trauma and bullying and how to uh, use music effectively. We had a whole range of breakout session topics. And then the keynoter was Coy Bowles from the Zach Brown Band, who actually not only besides being a great musician, he also is a children's author and uh, also writes children's songs. So he uh, had an amazing presentation on connecting to your calling and it really fit well with our concerns about addressing the need to recruit more teachers as well as to encourage practicing teachers so it really was a wonderful event interesting i, I never knew that one of the zach brown members was also a, a children's author yes uh, he really is passionate about um, writing books for children 
And also, uh, he's a great education advocate. So we were just so thrilled that he was willing to uh, give us his time and share his expertise with us. And I think everybody really uh, felt inspired by his presentation. Now, I noticed you mentioned childhood trauma, and that is one of those big things that comes up within an educator's career. At some point or another, they're going to come face to face with a child who is either in the midst of some type of trauma or has been through some type of trauma. And then that question of how do you reach that child and how do you help that child? Because there are a lot of individual stories within the education system. It's not just about the entire classroom. Absolutely. We see so many um, different reactions that children have to the trauma in their lives. And many times it manifests itself in behavior that perhaps is not appropriate. And so one of the things we try to train teachers to understand is to ask not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? And how can we help you work through whatever trauma you experience? And so uh, we've been doing some interesting things in terms of trying to uh, better prepare teachers to deal with trauma. That's tough. I I know so Mm -hmm. many times we've had guests on the air from the Child Advocacy Center and they have told us teachers are often that first line of defense in making sure a child is receiving the proper help or is pointed in the right direction to get the proper help if there's some type of abuse at home. Could Mm -hmm. be domestic violence between the mom and dad or could be the child being abused. How big of a subject is that when it comes to education and you're literally teaching future teachers at a college like MTSU? Uh, It has become a very important topic. And so we try to uh, prepare our teacher candidates to first recognize the signs of trauma and then learn how to best deal with it. Um, How do you get the help for the child? How do you support their behavior? How do you support the family? Because the family may be going through trauma. And so one of the most important things is we first talk about making a connection with the child and the family. That is absolutely essential. Uh, Children uh, need to feel secure. They need to feel that someone... they have someone they can trust in. And so it starts with making that connection and then doing appropriate corrections, but also providing the support and counseling that's needed to help them deal with whatever issue is causing them that trauma. Early childhood education versus some of those later years, such as high school years, which one of those is, I guess, of more importance in a child's life or is one more important than the other? Uh, I think they're all very important. I think the interesting and important thing about those early years is it sets the foundation for the future. So if we can reach the children early on, the better we can help them address the trauma or address any learning challenges, that's going to help those later years be smoother and more effective. And so while we value every year of a child's life, um, as an early childhood educator, I'm a little biased, but uh, we really think that we want to do everything possible to support the child and the family early in their lives because it really does impact their whole future. I know locally speaking here in Rutherford County within the Rutherford County school system they just like all the other systems have struggled with hiring enough teachers and filling enough positions Mm -hmm. and one of the things they've tried is reaching out to those in the workforce who are not teachers never been teachers but yet they're bringing them in And they're allowing them to teach in the classroom. And I think so far they've seen positive results. 
But how, how does the School of Education look at, look at ideas like this? Uh, we always want to make sure that there's a qualified teacher in every classroom. And so we have been working collaboratively with the school districts to find different ways to help uh, make that pathway smoother and more efficient. And so um, there's something called job, job embedded practice where we have people come in from other fields of study. And then we work with the school district to provide the coursework and the training that they need to help them be successful. And so that does help to uh, speed up the pathway and allow them to get into the classroom sooner and meet that growing need for uh, filling those teaching positions. Now, when it, when it comes down to becoming an educator, you know, making that decision in college to say, you know, I want to go this route so that I can become a high school teacher or a middle school teacher, what, what are we seeing as far as numbers? Fewer people today headed that direction for a career or more today headed that direction? We're definitely seeing a drop in the numbers, and I don't think that's unique to MTSU. I think we see this across the nation. Um, and so I think as teacher educators, we really need to look at how do we tell our story about the important week work that we do as difference makers. And so um, that is our current challenge, to get the word out there that this is a wonderful profession. Yes, it has some challenges, but you can have an impact on the lives of children and families that uh, is just... Um, really beneficial. And so um, there's so many wonderful professions to choose from these days. I think it does make it difficult for a young person trying to decide what direction to go. Uh, but we really uh, want to emphasize the value of teaching and that we really prepare teach, uh, people for every profession. And so it really is a significant role to play in the life of children. And uh, we really hope that we can continue to recruit great teachers because every child deserves to have an outstanding qualified teacher in their classroom. You know, I often hear people say, I would never want to be a teacher in today's times because mm -hmm. kids act so different today compared to years past when I was a kid. Or they say kids are more disrespectful today when compared to years past. But you being in this profession, what are some of the things you're hearing as to why someone may not want to become a teacher? Uh, I think the, the discipline challenges are a reason that many people opt not to pursue a career in education. Uh, obviously, salary is also an issue. And just the public perception of teachers, I think, has changed. And so I think we really need to work on our image as a profession, but also to help um, those who might be thinking about that realize that, yes, there are difficulties and challenges. Uh, the culture, the world is very different now. And so, yeah, there are some issues with disrespect. But I think, you know, what I found over 40 years in the profession, if you treat children with respect, they are going to respect you. So it really starts with building a relationship with them. And I think that's really where the power is. You know, from the outside looking in, I've never been in the world of education, never been a teacher, never been a substitute teacher even, you know, none of that. Um, but I think those issues of, let's say for example, children being more disrespectful today than in years past, the problem is you're going to see that in the workforce too. So no matter what direction you decide to head for a career, mm -hmm. you're going to see the same problems just on an older face. Absolutely. You know, I think schools reflect the culture and uh, disrespect is one of the problems we see in our culture today. So one of our challenges as educators is to 
try to help educate children how to be a respectful, kind, caring person. And um, we've got our work cut out for us. Hey, I guess part of the issue is those lessons of being a kind, caring person, those should start in the home. Absolutely, absolutely. And so one of the things we've been trying to do is work on our collaboration with families. And and so uh, we actually, one of my colleagues and I, Dr. Tiffany Wilson, who's a school counselor professor, uh, we're having a parent education workshop in a few weeks. We surveyed about 8,000 parents, and one of the things they said they wanted was training on being a good parent. And so that's what we're going to do. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Pam Martell, Associate Professor at the MTSU College of Education. And uh, as we open this morning with the subject of that recent celebration honoring K-12 educators in Murfreesboro and Rutherford County, let's close with that, too. And again, kind of tell us what occurred uh, in this recent event where you did have the chance to, you know, kind of honor and say thank you to our local educators. Yes, yeah, so at our teacher appreciation event, uh, we acknowledged the work of about 190 mentor teachers and uh, administrators who host our teacher candidates in their buildings. And so we work in close collaboration with them. We value their expertise. We love working with them. And we just wanted to say a thank you to them and show how much we appreciate their partnership because we can't do it alone. We have to work together to help produce effective and uh, caring, well-prepared teachers. And again, our guest on this first half of the program, Dr. Pam Artell, Associate Professor in the MTSU College of Education. And we appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Time right now, 834. We do have more news and more information coming your way in just a minute. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. You can get those options on the menu online at www.demasrestaurants.com. You can make the decisions that you want to make before you come in. We have options ranging from grilled chicken to fish. You can get it with a side of green beans or spinach or even zucchini. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner at Demas's. This is Amanda from Animal City inviting your family to come do business with my family. All of us at Animal City would like to say thank you to the Murfreesboro and surrounding communities for supporting this family-owned business for 32 years. When you come see us, make sure to check out our two full floors full of great pets and supplies to keep them happy and healthy. Animal City for your dog, cat, reptile, bird, and much, much more. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.35, you're tuned to WGNS. Again on this Monday morning, today the 17th of October. And now joining us in studio, Dr. Kelly Strong, Director of the MTSU School of Concrete and Construction Management Dr. Strong, how are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. Well, a big event occurred on the campus, what was it, last week, the opening of a brand new building. Thursday, yeah. So the opening of this brand new School of Concrete building, 
It, well, of course, first of all, it, it's made out of a lot of concrete. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> How big of a role did some of the students who, who are part of the School of Concrete and Construction Management how big of a role did they play in the design of this building? Uh, well, uh, we we kind of asked them both directly and indirectly. Uh, you know what what brought them into the into our program, and one very very consistent well two let me say two very consistent themes that we heard was our students migrate to our program because they're hands on learners they they like to see what they're what they're learning come to life in front of them that makes sense for a construction and concrete program and the other thing is they're very visual learners they're they 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 understand better when they can see and do um, so we so we took that information and designed the building to really be one giant learning lab we have individual labs and classrooms of course but we also took the, the building as a whole and left many, many systems exposed so students can, what I call, look up and learn, right? There's stuff in the ceiling that gets covered up in almost every building, electrical and mechanical and plumbing and, and communications and all kinds of wires and pipes and conduits. Um, and we left a lot of that exposed so they can look up and learn. And so when they look at a digital model or a set of building plans, they can then just step outside the classroom and see what it is that they're that they're trying to learn on the on the plan set so when looking at this new building it's a 40.1 million dollar state-of-the-art facility on the mtsu campus but when looking at the timeline that led up to this new building i know that it seems like for several years there was a lot of talk about how that need was there for the new building mm -hmm. and then once the state got involved approved x amount of dollars that they are going to put towards it and once that deal was inked how long did it take from start to finish to build this new concrete building so we started demolishing the old uh, d uh dormitories that were there they weren't occupied so in fact those have been closed for years. yeah they had been they had been closed for interesting in a bit of irony they were closed because the concrete in them was faulty oh. <laughs> it was falling apart <laughs> so uh, we we feel there's some sort of justice in that so so those were torn down in february and then we broke ground in april and took occupancy last thursday so a little less than uh well about 18 months that's from a start short to finish. period yeah. of time for such a big building too it is especially in this uh unusual economic times we live in where the things that you used to just be able to run down to the local building supply and get about as much as you needed uh, now there's a lot more supply chain challenges that we had to try to work through so while concrete has been used in the construction industry for years and years and years there are new applications being learned it seems like on a on a weekly basis mm -hmm. for concrete yes and there are a lot of different things concrete can be used for within even building a house and then of course all the way up to building commercial buildings and other structures mm -hmm. um, but kind of talk us through what some of the changes we're going to see probably in the years to come with concrete being implemented in new designs new buildings new homes all of that yeah well i would probably uh i would probably say that the top priority in the industry is to reduce its carbon footprint uh concrete is uh 
concrete is the second most used building commodity after water uh, uh, in the in the world and has been for a long time but it it really it it takes a great deal of energy to make the portland cement that goes into it so there's a lot of uh, work going on to try to reduce the carbon footprint basically of of the concrete industry and they're they're using different types of cement they're trying to use more limestone cement which is which requires less energy to to produce there even there's a there's a southeast there's a cement producer in the southeast that's actually i think even working with rutherford county on how to take some of the waste out of the landfill and convert it to energy so we're looking at all kinds of different ways to reduce the carbon footprint so that's probably the biggest change we'll see is new products and they are i shouldn't say even in the future they're out there now working with um carbon capturing concrete, uh, CO2 uh, reductions and things like that. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges. And we're doing a lot of that research in our, in our labs. And then the second uh, biggest issue, our biggest change that I see coming is the use of building modeling systems allows us to do very, very intricate, uh, like, kind of like our building, very unique, intricate innovative designs that probably without the sophistication of a three-dimensional building model it would be hard to build those sorts of things and um, and the design community is more likely to embrace concrete if we can be a part of that innovation uh, in their designs Again, Dr. Kelly Strong with us this morning, director of the MTSU School of Concrete and Construction Management. It's interesting, you were talking about limestone being used to help make concrete. So limestone is one of those rocks that's readily available Mm -hmm. in Middle Tennessee. How is it used? Is it crushed up and then put into the mix? Or how do they go about using limestone? Yeah, it's there's there's several different types of of cement, uh, the, the most common type is Portland cement, and they they add um, they use limestone and several other minerals and even chemicals. A little bit of iron ore, I think, goes in there. Uh, and er, er, no two cement plants in the world are the same. Everybody uses different combinations of things. Um, but what they do is they they preheat a, a kiln a big long drum um, and they push the the powder the the limestone is is crushed to us to a fairly small size and then it goes into this kiln and it basically melts it and it comes out the other end as as lava basically um, and then that lava is cooled and then it is ground up to a very fine powder in a in a mill that's got uh, steel balls in it basically and it crushes that clinker when it comes out as lava we call it clinker that clinker is then ground down to a very very fine powder and the different types of cement are based on the fineness of the particles Um, so the longer you grind it the finer it gets and then that clinker then is is fine enough its granularity is fine enough that when it reacts with water it becomes hard that's what makes it concrete 
So what the limestone concrete does is they can replace some of that clinker that takes a great deal of energy to produce. They can replace some of that clinker with limestone dust that do, that's very fine as well, and it, it replaces some of the Portland cement, um, and we still get real high-performing concrete. So is one of the reasons why we see a lot of different types of concrete out there is a lot of it based on geographically where that concrete is made exactly right yep so yep. what resources are available locally will then i guess play a role right. in how that concrete's made what type of concrete that's made. exactly right yeah the the it costs a lot to transport so you you try to use a mixture of of chemicals and and aggregates that are reasonably close by uh, it's also why a lot of the cement plants in the country are in the southeast because we have so much limestone that's relatively easy to get to when we see one of those big concrete mixing trucks driving down the road how soon i, I guess when is that concrete typically made and how long do they have before they actually need to get it out of the truck yeah. and onto the ground that's a good question um and uh, there, it, it varies quite a bit because there's a lot there's chemicals you can add to concrete to make it cure faster to make it set up quicker and then there's other chemicals you can add to make it slow down but you know I think I think in general kind of a rule of thumb is they they'd probably like to not have it be in the truck any more than 30 minutes hmm. um, so they literally are driving from job site to job site very quick I, yeah, I mean they they right. really don't have a lot of time no they don't and and then you know if it's if it's a job site that's pretty remote far away from a ready mix producer you know they'll do mobile batch plants the blue oval project out in western um, tennessee uh, is they're doing all mobile batching so they actually have all the raw materials that go into concrete stored on site and they just make it there so their trucks are dispatched every you know 10 minutes they're they basically the concrete's being produced on the job site so they can get a lot of concrete poured in a very short amount of time so what is the blue oval the blue oval project is ford's electric pickup and all of the satellite operations you know the battery plant and the glass plant and it's a huge uh project that's currently under under construction uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the town, but it's near Jackson. So do, is MTSU playing a role in some of that concrete uh, design work? Uh, probably not in the design work so much. Well, in the mixed design, yes. In the design work of the concrete, uh, we're, we're involved in it. Pr probably a more accurate statement would be that our alumni are involved in it. We have several alumni who work for the concrete company that's producing that. As a matter of fact, they're one of their senior people came in and spoke to our class last week about the challenges of pouring that much concrete that fast in a remote part of the world so uh, but, but right here in tennessee yeah right right it, it's fascinating that some M, you know former mtsu students are playing a role in the high-tech world of of uh, electric rechargeable vehicles right. here in yep. Tennessee yep. and of all things concrete is yeah. their role in this that's, that's right. neat yep it is it's uh it's, it's it's the first it's the first thing that has to happen anytime you want to build anything is you typically have to pour concrete <laughs> again Dr. Kelly Strong our guest this morning he is the director of the MTSU School of Concrete 
and construction management. And I know you've got time constraints yourself this mm-hmm. morning, but we appreciate you joining us. And anybody who wants to learn more about the School of Concrete, where do they need to go? Well, they could go to our, our website. They, if they go to the mtsu.edu website and click on the C in the, in the A to Z index, uh, we're in the concrete and construction management link right below that. Our new building is 1727 Blue Raider Drive. If they want to come by and take a look, there's a lot of really fun concrete stuff. More than more than most people probably realize, things we did with concrete in that building. Floors and wall finishes and architectural panels and all kinds of different applications of concrete. So definitely worth the drive over there to check yep. it out. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you for joining thank us you. today. Thanks for having me. Again, Dr. Kelly Strong, director of the MTSU School of Concrete and Construction Management. More news, more information coming up next. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs. Online at tireworld.us. Don't throw away old flags. WGNS retires old glory with respect. Bring those tattered Bibles here too. We're more than talk. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. For the final half of the show this morning, we have with us this morning the new MTSU Chief of Police, Ed Kaup. Good morning to you, first of all. (laughs) Good morning. So tell us a little bit about your background before landing you in this position of the chief of the MTSU Police Department. I did uh, 27 years with the Chicago Police Department. I ended my career there. I retired uh, to come to MTSU. Um, in that in that 27 years, uh, of course, Chicago's a big city, so uh, a lot of diversity, a lot of diverse assignments, and I've done everything. I've been in patrol. I've been a tactical officer. I was a homicide detective. I was a sergeant and lieutenant in different areas and internal affairs and policy and admin so i'm pretty well-rounded uh police career um uh, I'm, I'm blessed of course uh to have made it out alive is one <laughs> I, I guess that's a a police saying is right you make it out alive you're you're good you're you're, right. you're one up especially coming from chicago <laughs> yes sir <laughs> so chicago to mtsu quite the change for sure but yet the focus within law enforcement i know a lot of that's probably the same but yet being on a college campus there are a lot of differences there as well there are um i think policing is the same everywhere it's about relationships it's about uh giving respect to people as long as you're nice uh, people get it we have a job to do and our job is to protect at mtsu is to protect the staff faculty and students and the visitors to the campus um it's mtsu it's, it's a large campus it's a city inside of a city in murfreesboro um, but we also have to play well with everybody outside of the campus as well, with Murfreesboro proper. 
so the difference between Chicago and, of course, the university campuses, we have the ability to not run from job to job all day long. Um, interacting with the community is a lot easier. Uh, and our the college never changes. They, everyone is always young. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the same every, every year. We're getting the same age group. Uh, throughout the campus and when you talk about mtsu one of the fastest and one of the largest universities in tennessee you're talking about basically a city of twenty thousand plus people whenever school's in semester i mean that that's a lot of folks yes sir it is and it's a lot of people to uh, get to know um, and our officers do a terrific job of getting to know everybody, uh, getting out of the cars, walking around, saying hello, uh, going to campus events, uh, being part of the community. I know every year the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation releases their crime on campus report. And one of the things that we see really at all the colleges is burglaries, you know, auto burglaries. That's one of the biggies. But then you also have one of those other issues that involves people drinking too much, uh, public intoxication, even DUIs on different college campuses, and then also sexual offenses. So out of, I guess, all the list of crimes that occur throughout the state at different college campuses, what are some of the things you're seeing on the MTSU campus? We have a very safe campus. Um, that, that's what I'm seeing. We, we, we track everything. We track every call. We track every violent crime. There are clearly mandates there's things are were mandated to track um which is not only on the campus but also remember we own different properties the university has different properties everywhere else so we get all those stats together um the the biggest thing for us is being a full service police department is we do arrest people um all, all of our officers are actual officers it's not security we hire or the buildings hire security for certain events and stuff but the police are always there um the biggest issue for us is probably um students just not being aware leaving their laptop on a table to run to the bathroom <laughs> and yeah. they come back and the laptop's gone uh so it's it's you talk about car, car burglaries leaving stuff in your vehicle that people can see um if people have the opportunity if if someone wants to take the opportunity to steal from somebody that's what they're going to do they're going to path of least resistance see a laptop in a car Opening that door because it isn't unlocked or breaking a window just to grab a laptop is fairly easy. Now, for MTSU police, they've got the authority, obviously, like you said, to make arrests and things like that because these police officers are, are regular police officers. I, I'm curious, are, are they considered state officers because MTSU is, you know, a, a state university? Yes. Uh, the law in Tennessee is that you're for – we're certified – police officers for the state of Tennessee. Um, our jurisdiction is the campus, uh, anything contiguous to the campus, so anything on borders, and then anything between campus buildings. As you know, we have the airport, we have the Coliseum, we have different properties. So our jurisdiction spans pretty big, although our main focus is going to be the campus itself. And of course, MTSU is in the process of locating a portion of their flight program in Shelbyville, Tennessee, which is down 231 South. When that occurs, how is MTSU going to work that into their police department and things they oversee? We're working on that. 
it's 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 quite a distance so that's something we have to work out with uh creating security issues at the airport with shelbyville with the police department with the university to see where exactly we're going to lie because sending someone 40 minutes uh every day is going to be quite a chore definitely and again mtsu police they've got the authority to also work on the outskirts of the campus and their properties like you were saying so does that mean that if you see somebody speeding down let's say east main street right in front of the campus and they're obviously doing well over the speed limit is that somebody that you would pull over if you felt they could be a threat to some of our students who are walking across east main yes sir um as, as i said anything anything borders university university property we we will enforce we have the legal authority to enforce um all of our cars do have radar so uh, speeding is a big deal just because we have so many pedestrians and people uh, our job is to protect life and property so we want to make sure that everyone is okay and that includes traffic enforcement i know a lot of times for colleges the problems often come from outside sources in other words people who are not enrolled as students but yet they're coming to the campus for the purpose of maybe it's breaking into cars or maybe it's to, to hurt somebody in a domestic situation is that what you see at mtsu as well when you do see some of the crimes unfold uh, sometimes um, it's it's a it's a wide array of what we see as far as who the offenders are. Um, sometimes it is outsiders. Sometimes it is the students. Sometimes it is family of the students or friends of the students. Our job is just to make sure that everybody is safe. So uh, because MTSU is an open public university, uh, we have an open campus and and we're proud of having an open campus. So we want everyone to be welcome. But we also don't want any people coming there to make victims of the people who are on campus. Again, with us in studio this morning, the new MTSU Chief of Police, Ed Kaup, talking about not only things that happen on different college campuses, but mainly here at MTSU. I'm curious what you, I guess, expect to see in the near future as far as changes with law enforcement with you know providing that secured feeling to students on campus uh, what are we going to see in the future i think i've been very fortunate to come into a police department that is very well respected in the area we have terrific officers great leadership in the police department and we're really good with community policing everybody knows who are who we are um i expect my officers to be visible to the public but also always be nice um and thankfully I've walked into a department who's like that. So my job right now isn't to change anything per se. I'm not looking to come in and change everything because it's a pretty smooth running ship. But uh, for me, it's more about uh, raising level of professionalism, um, raising our visibility and our standing in the community to be partners with the community. I guess as we close this morning, what would you say to parents out there listening who have students on the MTSU campus? It's a great place to send your children to school. Um, I have a daughter in college out of state and I have a son in high school. So my job is to be the parent and make sure that they're safe sending their children here for an education um, and that they feel that it's okay. Because I, I know the worry, being a parent, I know the worry of sending your child away. Yeah, it's their first time to be an adult and really do things on their own in a, in a lot of uh, categories. So it yes, can sir. be scary. 
Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you, sir. Right now that time, 9 o'clock, you're tuned in to WGNS Murfreesboro. More news and more information coming up.